Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode, your burnout fans, and welcome to another episode of the podcast with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Today, I am joined by Kay Allison, who helps professional women break their drinking habits and get free, free from booze, free from shame, and free from anxiety. Now, after Kay went alcohol-free, she increased her income, get this, six hundred percent and married the love of her life her book juicy af af standing for alcohol free stop the drinking spiral create your future and her course 30 days to freedom for professional women both provide a step-by-step guide for high achieving women and i'm so excited kate to have you on the show today Thank you. I'm really just as excited to be here. Now, we were just mentioning before we started taping that this is something that a lot of people deal with, drinking as a way of coping with stress. And as we know, burnout is a stress disorder. So um, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about your story and how this all came about for you? Well, I've always been a high achieving person, kind of born out of uh, insecurity and needing to prove that I was worthy. You know, uh, I think the old story of I'm not good enough ran me for a lot of years. Not pretty enough, thin enough, old enough, young enough, you know, <laughs> curvy enough, stick like enough, like whatever enough. And, um, you know, the good news is that drove me to have a lot of success, which opened up a lot of opportunities. The bad news was it, I always had this little edge that under lay everything I was doing. Like even when I got to that next promotion or I got to that next raise, it still wasn't enough to fill that hole. Right. So you were looking outside of yourself for something to fill the void within. So what led you to burnout? I was a single parent. I had two adolescent kids that I raised by myself for 10 years. And um, I was a senior vice president of a global ad agency. And I thought that if I just managed both those things better, that my life would be okay. 
But in reality, it was more than any one person could handle. But I kept blaming myself for it, right? Mm. And trying to find ways to uh, manage that stress. And I would always tell myself, oh, I'll just have one glass of wine. Because as soon as I heard the cork, you know, come out of the bottle, I would get that Pavlovian kind of, oh, kind of feeling. And I really thought that that was the antidote. That was the way to take the edge off. But it resulted in, you know, waking up the next morning with what they now call anxiety and, uh, you know, feeling like crap and spending so much energy just to get back to normal, which compounded the problem. Yeah, it's so interesting what you were saying about the sound of the cork. And, you know, our brain makes associations between things. So you were drinking and you knew that when you drank, it gave you a certain feeling. And so you didn't even have to have the alcohol. It was just kind of listening to that sound that created that feeling within you. And so I can't help but wonder if you had the soundtrack of the cork, if that would do enough to (laughs) just give you that you know, that sense of relaxation, but we also know that we, we reach a point where we get to extinction where that no longer, cause that association gets decoupled. But um, anyway, just kind of like a fun thing that was going through my head as you were sharing. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I never wanted to stop with just the cork coming out of the bottle. There had to be that first sip and the way my body reacts to alcohol is once I have a sip, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop or not. It's yeah. a biological phenomenon that happens to me and to other people that I know um, where one is too many and a thousand isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to know yourself and really l- listen to the evidence. So here you were feeling really stressed, trying to make it through the day. You had a lot on your plate. And alcohol was the thing that allowed you to kind of kick back and relax. And it was maybe your reward for working as hard as you were working. But then there was the other side of that coin where you'd wake up in the morning and you weren't feeling good. And it was starting to take a toll on your health, on your productivity, your ability to show up and do the good work that you wanted to do. So what did it take for you to go from, oh, I'm fine drinking that wine to, this isn't okay. It was a process. I started thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm hungover like three or four days a week. And if I live another, you know, 40, 50 years, that's 20 to 25 years of being hungover. You know what I mean? Like my mind was starting to hear people say, oh yeah, when I moved to Texas, I got sober there. And I had a friend who was sober and I was asking him. So there was something telling me that this wasn't in my best interests. Um, And for me, it was an experience that had two realizations baked into it. One was, um, I'm not the when I'm drinking, I'm not the person that I know I am. 
And number two, I had gotten kind of inured to the fact that once I started, I didn't know how much I was going to drink and I'd kind of worked my life around that. But there was one night where I set out to not drink. I was hosting a 40th birthday for myself and I had people in from all over and I was like, I'm going to drink diet Coke tonight and really be present. And about 1030, somebody offered me a glass of champagne one too many times. And I was like, oh, one glass isn't going to kill me. And my kids who are then my older kids who are then nine and 15 had to undress me and put me to bed. And I woke up the next morning and I was done. Mm. That's not who I am. And so that was number one. But number two, the scariest thing was, oh my God, I didn't want to drink last night. And I ended up drinking when I didn't want to. So not only can I not control how much I drink once I start, but I can't control whether I start or not. That's freaking terrifying. Just the, the fear of losing control. Totally. You know, I, I, what I realized is, oh my God, I could be going to meet the president of the United States. And if somebody handed me a glass of red wine, I have no idea what would happen. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is a really good message for people to hear because I think the denial that sets in when it comes to alcohol is that I have control. I am in control. This is fine. It's not too much. I can stop anytime I want. And the truth of the matter is that if that's not true, then you're really not in control. And that's even scarier. It's terrifying, truly terrifying. Um, To feel like you can't trust yourself is a terrifying experience. And that's why I couch what I talk about in terms of its biology as a biological phenomenon that once I have a sip of wine, I want more. It's not a moral failing, it's physiology. Exactly. And I love that you say that because it takes a lot of the stigma out of it, right? It's not anything, it's not like a character defect. It's just, you know, we're all born with a biological predisposition to something. And for some people, it's alcohol and for other people, it's something else, you know, and so just making peace with what is and then taking the necessary steps to make sure that we are making good decisions that don't get us into a whole bunch of hot water. I'm allergic to eggs. I love that comparison. (laughs) I do because there's no, there's no stigma in that. I'm allergic to eggs. When I eat eggs, I throw up. So I get to choose, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything about my character. It means nothing about my character. It is a physiological way that my body's set up. And if I deny it, I'm going to throw up. And if I look at it and say, oh, it's just the way, you know, my body at this age and this place is reacting to eggs. I think I'm not going to do that because it doesn't work so well for me. I mean, it's a pretty matter of fact decision. It, it, I think in our society, you know, we freighted the physiological response to alcohol with so much morality and stigma and, you know, 
it's just associate it has it's freighted with so much negativity. Um, and that's why I talk about it out loud. Like to me, I don't look like an alcoholic, you know what I mean? Like, but the fact of the matter is physiologically alcohol and I don't work very well together. Mm-hmm. So you've been on a journey, you've come out the other side, and now you, as you say, talk about this to help women particularly uh, break their drinking habit. So um, as you're doing this work, I'm sure that you, either from your own experience of yourself going through it or from working with these women and seeing what comes up for them, you have been able to come up with some things that people believe that aren't really true. So if, if you would, could you debunk for us the three biggest myths that people have around this topic? Well, I think we already talked about one of them, but where I want to really start is um, that alcohol takes the edge off of my anxiety. It's a great solution to my anxiety. That's the myth. The reality is that drinking regularly, even a small amount, like one normal sized glass of wine a night, causes anxiety, which blows my mind. I wish that I had known that back in the day. Um, and there are biological mechanisms that cause that to happen, right? It disrupts even drinking one glass of wine disrupts our sleep, which we know raises our cortisol levels. Uh, Secondly, you know, alcohol is a disinfectant and it kills all the bugs in your gut. And there's the brain gut, you know, connection through the vagus nerve. And so the disruption in your gut also changes your mental state. And the third thing is uh, there's this miracle that our bodies do, which is called Uh, homeostasis. And it's what makes us shiver when we're cold and sweat when we're hot. And our bodies are so brilliant that we train our bodies to expect the caffeine in the morning and the wine at night or the vodka at night. And we come to expect that our bodies come to expect that that alcohol is coming online. And so to keep us safe so that we don't get so relaxed that we forget to breathe when we drink, our baseline ratchets up to more anxious. It's not a matter of thinking your way out of this. Your thinking or your willpower is no match for your biology. Perfectly said. I love that. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, I can just stop whenever I want. and that if you've got that biological predisposition is pretty well impossible to do. So it's not just about taking the stigma out, but also recognizing the reality of the situation is that it's going to require you to make some changes and you're not necessarily going to be able to do it on your own. Well, that's really true. I invite women into experimenting. I think one of the barriers to me getting sober was thinking about, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to drink again. And so I try to lower the bar and ask women or invite them into an alcohol-free experience for 30 days or 60 days and to use it as an experiment rather than 
this is the way I'm going to live my life from here on out. That's too big of a decision. Our brains don't like that. And so coaxing people into an alcohol-free experience and asking them to pay attention to what happens to their anxiety, it kind of lowers the decision. And and that's nice, a, a nice way to do it, just because I think that loss aversion often kicks in for people where they're like, what do you mean? I'm never going to be able to do this again. And this is something that I love doing all the time. Right. So going from like all to nothing feels like too great of a loss. It makes me think about this cleanse diet that I did with my husband a bunch of years back where one of the things you had to eliminate was alcohol. Now, I was never a drinker and my husband was never a heavy drinker, but you know, he would have here and there, like if usually if people were over, he didn't really like to drink by himself. And it would be like one or two beers or something like that or a glass of wine. But during this cleanse, we had to eliminate alcohol altogether. And when we got back to our normal eating after that, he decided what would happen if I continued the streak? What would happen if I didn't bring alcohol back online? And um, he just found that life was better without alcohol. And it's been, I think, at this point, probably like six years and he hasn't touched wow. alcohol. And it wasn't because he had an issue with it. It was just like he got really into the whole health kick and he was like, you know, wasn't that big a player in my life before, but like not having it is better for all these reasons. And so um, I like the idea of, you know, you have those 30 days or you've got 90 days or however long to just test it out and then see for yourself. And then from that place, make the decision about what comes next. I think that another one of the myths is. I really have to have a problem and I have to be an alcoholic to decide to not drink. And what I've found is I invite people to do a cost benefit analysis, which is simply, you know, a piece of paper with a line down the middle. And on one side, it's what are all the benefits you get from drinking? right? Mm -hmm. So it's conviviality and it's, I don't feel socially awkward and whatever it is for you. Sure. And on the other side, it's what does it cost you? Because there's trade-offs with every single thing that we do. And what I found when I did that analysis was that the, the things that it gave me were temporal. They were very short-lived and what it cost me in terms of self-respect and uh, the drain on my energy and yeah. feeling that loss of control, like the things that it was costing me were more important. And then the question becomes, you know, do you want important or do you want like the impatient thing? Um, do you want what's now or do you want what's important? And you get to make your own choice. Again, not free. I try to work with women in a way that's not weighted down with moral implications. It's simply a choice. Yeah. I think uh, this is also very empowering to say you get to choose every single day. And are you making the best choices for you? 
Another thing that I like to do when we're talking about the cost benefit analysis is take all the reasons that are the pro side of things, right? Like it takes the edge off or it helps me be less socially awkward. And then ask the question, what else would help you achieve that same result without alcohol? So if you needed to take the edge off, what else helps you take the edge off that isn't actually causing long-term negative effects for you, right? And then people are able to start thinking outside of what they're just their quick go-to solution, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, I can just lay on the couch and listen to some music or I could, you know, whatever. my body, right. Whatever it is, dance Mm. to my favorite song or, you know, exactly. So, So there's other ways of achieving the same things without the downside, then it makes it a little bit easier to make better decisions. In the book, I talk about uh, redesigning your habits. And we know that habits have three parts. There's a trigger, a behavior, and then a reward. And if you can identify the trigger and the reward, then you can like experiment with what the behaviors are. You know, so when it's five o'clock, whatever the trigger is on a Thursday, and I usually drink because it gives me some relief from being so exhausted. What can I, what can I experiment with? What are 10 things I could do that would give me that same relief from exhaustion? Oh, could you actually take a nap or do some yoga nidra or go for a walk or, you know, and, and you don't know in advance what's going to, what's going to fit for you. So again, it's an experiment rather than a, you should dogma. Yeah. And I'm also a fan of looking at what is causing the problem to begin with. Like if you're exhausted and that's the reason you're drinking, how can we work differently so that you don't so exhausted to begin with, and then you don't need to have that mechanism of, you know, now I got to cope with the problem. So that's a whole other thing that people can do. All right. So you've given us uh, two myths. Two. Yeah. And what's the third one? So I'm going to tell you a story. Um, I grew up in a house that was, as I joke, 50 shades of beige. And if you're watching this, I've got on bright red glasses and a bright pink top, and there is nothing beige about me. And it felt like a beige prison to me. Um, and alcohol was the vehicle to magic and color and a world full of possibilities. Who knew where the night was going to end up? I had to be able to create that world of magic and color and possibilities in my real life because it was obviously something that I craved. What I thought was that a life without drinking was going to be the beige prison. And I, it didn't occur to me that it was possible to create a life of color and magic um, without the alcohol. And so the myth is that a life without drinking is going to suck. But the reality is that a life that's free from alcohol, free from shame, free from pretending I've got it all together. When you get free of all those things, what's left is this sense of sparkling, alive vitality And the energy that I drained from the drinking, the shame, and the pretending is what allowed me to increase my income such a ridiculously (laughs) huge percentage, 600%. 
Yeah, you um, we mentioned that in your bio. Tell us a little bit about that because that's a staggering statistic. Isn't that great? It's amazing. I had been a senior vice president of a global ad agency. So where I was starting from wasn't terrible. And what I realized from being alcohol-free was, oh my God, I had way more energy than could be contained within a corporation. And I realized that I'm really a terrible employee. I'm really an entrepreneur. And so I learned how to take some of the practices that enhance my alcohol-free life and apply them into the world of business. And that's what really was the rocket ship. I started my first multi-million dollar company really because I came at it with the orientation of truly being of service, being very curious about other people and their experience of the world and being ridiculously honest. Um, All qualities that contributed to my sense of ease and comfort in my own skin, which is how you've got to figure out to live with so that you don't need it from that glass of wine. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, and talk about removing the beige from your life. Like being an entrepreneur is certainly not a beige experience. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah. So you you figured it out. That's really cool. I love I love your story. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing that with us. Now, Absolutely. if somebody is like really intrigued, you know, they fit your profile of being a professional woman, a woman who is maybe drinking, they want to break free from all of it. Um, where should they go? Best place to find me is at juicyaf.life forward slash book. Um, when you go to that link, you'll be invited to get some bonuses, including a 30 minute call with me, which is an audit of your current level of anxiety and energy, um, as well as what your business goals are. What I've found is that going alcohol free has been the ultimate career hack. And so if you also want to increase your income the way I did, in a way that isn't slick or manipulative or scheming or requiring a ton more work, I can help you with that. That's amazing. I love it. So what a also generous offer. So I encourage everybody who is watching and listening to go to that link. It will be in the show notes and grab a copy of the book, Juicy AF and reach out to Kay because she definitely has been there. She understands, she knows what she's doing and she can absolutely help. So that is a fantastic offer that I encourage everybody to take advantage of. Kay, thank you again for being on the show. You have uh, really put a spotlight on this very important topic that I hope people take advantage of everything that you've shared today and your free resource. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Now, for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you are a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, 
My goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you're ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, everybody.